Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. Welcome to this podcast uh, on achalasia. Uh, We've done a few of these in the past, but I think that uh, we thought it was time to uh, revamp uh, some discussion about um, the treatments for achalasia and the decisions on who gets what. Uh, talking about that today, I'm Dr. Siva Raja, one of the uh, thoracic surgeons at the Cleveland Clinic. I'm also the director, uh, surgical director of the esophageal center at the Cleveland Clinic. With me is Dr. Monisha Sudarshan. Hi, I'm Dr. Monisha Sudarshan. I'm one of the thoracic surgeons at Cleveland Clinic. I'm also the director of uh, esophageal research. So Dr. Raja, tell us how, if you get a patient in your clinic with achalasia, diagnosis of achalasia, there's multiplicity of uh, treatments available for it. How do you go about deciding which one is uh, the right one for the patient you're seeing? You know, um, you know, that's a very good question. And that's a question that comes up uh, you know, every, uh, with every patient that I see is because there's a lot of treatments for achalasia. And I, you know, we strongly believe in the right treatment for the right patient. And that right treatment is both based on science as well as with the discussion with the patient about how they're feeling and what their overall conditions are. And I think that one of the strengths of what we do here is that we offer the entire gamut of therapy, okay? It's not that we have for only some of the treatments, in which case you are only gonna get offered some of the treatments. And so in a lot of places when you go to get a treatment for a very rare disease like achalasia, People specialize in one or two treatments, and that's probably the options you're going to get. And in here, we do offer a lot. And so in addition to being able to offer you all the different treatments, if we do offer you all the treatments, we need to have some rationale for why we, we recommend one or the other. Because there's very rarely a patient that says that I know what I want, and this is what I want, and this is what I want you to do for me. Almost everybody is interested in having a discussion about the pros and cons of what these treatments are. But at the end of the day, they say, you know, once you've explained to them, what do you, they want to know, what do I think? You know, and on, in, in that situation, I need to have some reason as to why I would recommend one versus the other. So in our previous uh, 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 discussions, we've talked about the different types of achalasia. And also we've talked about patients, you know, how their esophagus does not work normally. You know, their sphincter, which is the valve at the bottom of the esophagus, does not want to open. And at the same time, the, the esophagus, which is the, the, the entire organ in itself, doesn't want to squeeze the food down from top to bottom. It's, it's something called peristalsis, which is gone. So as a result, a lot of patients have an esophagus that's not normal in size. It gets bigger and bigger, especially as time goes on. So they have a large esophagus that doesn't work and the sphincter doesn't want to open. So we can't, make, we can't do too much about this, the, the, the esophagus that's wider, but we can open the sphincter and, and go from there. So the four treatments that we have are Botox, which is an injection that is done into the uh, sphincter valve at the bottom of your food pipe, and that causes the sphincter to, that's closed all the time to relax. The second one is called a pneumatic dilation. It's a, something that is a balloon is placed in there, and then we blow up the balloon to break the muscle on the outside. Turns out that the inner layer of the esophagus tends to be very stretchy and doesn't break. And so when you break the muscle on the outside, the sphincter becomes looser, and therefore food can go down better. There are, the last two options are actually surgical options. One is called a POEM, or per oral endoscopic myotomy, where everything is done through the mouth, where we make an incision inside the esophagus, 
make a, a little tunnel down to um, the sphincter valve and then cut it. We'll refer to the video on that one uh, for anyone who's interested. And similarly, there's a Heller myotomy, which is a operation that's done laparoscopically and now robotically, which is a version of laparoscopy, you know, and uh, where we cut the muscle and also give people a um, anti-reflux valve afterwards. It's, it's nothing artificial. It's using your own stomach, but we recreate a valve. So there's advantages and disadvantages to every one of these treatments. And so we use that to decide who gets what. So the easiest one to do is the Botox, but it doesn't last very long. So if someone who is healthy, we don't want to employ a temporary solution. We employ something that is more permanent. And the other three treatments we talked about are more long-lasting. The pneumatic dilation can be very effective, but has less effectiveness over a longer period of time. So we use that for folks who either have had previous treatment or are frail or have other medical issues that they're, uh, they're not going to do well with anesthesia and surgery and things like that. So the surgical options is really where it comes down to when you come to see a surgeon is that they want to know what surgery you're going to do. And I think that the other two procedures we talked about just now are done by our specialized gastroenterologist in our swallowing center. Okay. So the surgery comes in the form of poem or it comes in the form of Heller myotomy with a partial fundoplication. The advantage of a poem is that it is very well tolerated. There's less pain, shorter amount of recovery. Most people are recovered within 48 hours. Okay? And it works. You know, you never want to compare two things where one works and one doesn't work. So they, all options work. And the poem works very well. But the way the poem works is that it cuts the muscle in the sphincter. So the sphincter that's supposed to open and close is now... Uh, closed in patients with achalasia. That's, the, that's what achalasia is. But after the operation, it's open all the time. If it's open all the time, you can have heartburn. And more than half the people who have that procedure do have heartburn, albeit a lot of them, the medications uh, to control the acid reflux do control their symptoms. And that's where the Heller myotomy comes in, is where whenever possible, where the esophagus is in very dilated, or they have what's called type 2 achalasia, where the esophagus is not is actually has some function even though it's not normal function we do the heller myotomy because we give people the partial flap so instead of 50 percent or more of patients having heartburn 15 percent or so have heartburn and even then medications tend to do very well with them so that's sort of how we figure out who gets what and obviously when situations arise where someone could have one or the other uh, where there's an overlap then we you know give the option to the patient um, as to which one they want. But generally speaking, there's a medical reason we, for our recommendation. So, Okay. So. so one question I have for you, Dr. Raja, is we do see sometimes patients coming who have had a poem or have had a Heller myotomy um, and still don't have a relief. And they're coming to seek the other treatment that they didn't have. Is it possible to do that? In these patients, so someone who has had a poem who wants surgery uh, because mm -hmm. they're still having the same symptoms. It, it is. And I think, to be honest, I actually prefer it that way because I think that there are, um, whenever a procedure fails, you know, because probably because of the, some, you know, technical limitation or whatnot. And you could probably overcome that with the other techniques. So, for example, when you have a poem procedure, it, it is a um, procedure that's done inside the esophagus and you're not anywhere outside. And, you know, it's not always clear, especially if you weren't the one doing the first one, exactly where the muscle was cut. 
and there's only so much real estate in the esophagus to cut the muscle. And if you can't find out exactly where they cut it, you know, because they came from the inside, you could see it from the outside. And that's where the, a robotic hellermyotomy becomes useful. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if you've had a, lap a laparoscopic or robotic hellermyotomy and you have a flap in place, in order to redo the myotomy, you got to take the flap down. But, but if you did the poem where you can actually go the opposite side, because you almost always know where the first one was, then even if you didn't do it, you know where the first one was, if you did it laparoscopically, then you could do an operation without having to do any major surgery. So I think that the two procedures can complement each other when one fails. Um, so let me throw that question back at you. Uh, no, I talked a lot about you know, what my thoughts are on who we would recommend one to the other. Are there groups of patients you think should have one or the other and definitely not the other? Um, well, we've done research on this uh, from uh, our own experience, and there are certain types of achalasia, and we can find these certain types through the investigations that we do when we see our patients. And yes, there are certain types that would do better with a poem, and then there are certain types that would do better with a heller myotomy. So I think that is one of the guiding uh, principles. And then on top of that, as you mentioned before, um, the, if the uh, other medical issues the patients have can sometimes guide our decisions. If a patient has had several surgeries in the abdomen before, it might be tough to get in there again, or especially do it laparoscopically, then that might um, tease us more towards the poem pathway where we don't have to make an incision in the belly. Okay. So what are your thoughts? You know, there are some on, on this uh, subject that comes up in the technical arena in the, in the surgical field is that there are people who believe that, you know, you get achalasia and you have hiatal hernia. How often do you think that happens at the same time? Some people believe it never happens at the same time. Well, we know that it does happen. Uh, it might not happen commonly, but it does happen because we have encountered those patients in our clinic. And that's also one of those situations where um, a surgical treatment might be better because if you have a hiatal hernia, if you do a poem, um, you are not addressing the hiatal hernia part of it. And sometimes the symptoms can even worsen. So um, in those situations, I would lean more towards a surgical management. Another um, uh, technical or anatomical change that would lead us towards a surgical management is when patients have a diverticulum and achalasia. A diverticulum is when it's kind of an outpouching or a balloon in the esophagus that can cause patients to have food accumulate there depending on the size and have re regurgitation. And doing a poem there, uh, depending on the size of the diverticulum, may not be optimal and you actually have to surgically take it out. So those are certain circumstances circumstances which um, uh, steer us towards surgery. Yeah, I agree. I think that when people have small outpouchings, I think that a poem is reasonable if they want it yeah. done. But when they have large outpouchings, you don't really solve their problem by just cutting the sphincter because they get more than one problem. Um, so I think um, I agree with you. There are certain patients that should have one, you know, like I personally don't recommend, you know, a poem procedure to people with any reasonable size hiatal hernias because the heartburn afterward is, yeah. is pretty severe. And I'm not sure that medical therapy is going to take care of that. And two, I think that you have to think about if they did have big, uh, severe symptoms, fixing the hernia after you've cut the muscle and caused some scarring in that area is not trivial. Yep. You know? And so I think you got to put all those uh, pieces together before you do something as opposed to like uh, try to catch up at the end. The fact that patients are not 
likely in Cleveland or in Ohio and are everywhere across the country or even the world. And so we work with uh, their local uh, doctors to help obtain the tests we want and are able to schedule virtual visits or telephone visits to talk to them. So our follow-up, we follow them closely in the first three months to make sure that uh, they don't have any acid reflux. So we do a test for that uh, and we do a swallow to see how well they're swallowing, how fast the diet goes and we're able to establish a baseline at that point after the surgery. And if they're doing well, then we still continue to follow them every year uh, with a swallow study or if it showed reflux to treat them for reflux and to ensure they're being, uh, their symptoms are taken care of and their reflux is um, solved according to tests. Um, and uh, it's very important to follow them uh, closely in the first uh, three years because our own studies have shown that following them um, and ensuring that there's no symptoms or recurrence or coming back of the accolation in the first three years um, is associated with more longer-term relief. Um, so we continue to do the test every year, speak to them, make sure their symptoms are uh, under control. And even after that, um, to uh, see them or talk to them uh, every couple of years with a study um, to ensure ongoing relief from the surgery. And we're able to do this working with uh, their local doctors so they don't need to fly back uh, to see us every time. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, a joint approach uh, to tearing care echolasia is going to be the most important thing long term. But we always emphasize, and, and we actually try to emphasize that, uh, you know, in the clinic, even before the operation, that operations are very, very successful, but they are not guaranteed to be one and done. You know, it's not like fixing a broken leg where once the leg heals, you're good to go. You know, these require uh, follow-up, they require maintenance. And the important, and the reason to do it, there's, there should be a reason why we follow people other than just to know that if they're having problems, and there are many things that we can do that are very simple, like all the way from a simple dilation to treating your reflux that can significantly prolong the lifespan of the esophagus. And it can also uh, make people's quality of life much better. So I think that intervening early and identifying problems allows us to um, make sure that the original operation they have continues to work for people lifelong. So this has been a, a, an update to our uh, um, discussions of achalasia in the past. Hopefully you find it as interesting as we did. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash loveyourheartpodcast.